Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos and I'm the CEO and founder at Chenext. And I'm here together with Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenext. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. My uh, wife just got back from a uh, 10-day trip in uh, Japan. So uh, yeah, I've missed a load. So it was good to have her back yesterday. Awesome. And she brought you a gift, uh, I heard. Yeah, I'm currently wearing new trainers. So shout out to Milo for bringing me uh, really class trainers from Japan, which is why everyone should check the YouTube channel so they can go and, uh, so they can go and see them. Excellent. Another small promo for the YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any way to slip it into the message, right? Awesome. We're actually, today we're already in episode four of our series around building your channel or how to start a channel. And today we're going to talk about compensation. I think this is really one of the number one questions that everybody asks me is a lot of SaaS companies who are building their channel or want to build a partner program. Like what margin do I need to give to my partners? What is the compensation for them? I think that's what we're going to touch upon today. Maybe to start with, like, what is compensation within the channel and why is it so important for both partners, but also for vendors there? Sure. So money is the name of the game at the end of the day, and compensation is the way in which you drive that money into the channel. So some uh, types of deals will be a referral-led deal where you're paying commission down to a referral partner. And in other types of deals, they are reselling your product. So they buy at a cheaper cost, they add their margin, and they sell. And um, if you get your compensation strategy wrong, it literally doesn't matter how well designed your channel is, your channel will ultimately die as partners understand that there is a more effective way of making money elsewhere. And so today we're going to unwrap like what are the tips and tricks to get through and build a compensation strategy that's going to give you the cutting edge to allow you to build your channel because at the beginning, it's one of the things that really you can play very well with because it's one of the things that's totally in your control. And then you can really drive that messaging into the channel to help build and ignite those partnerships and really get them going. Yeah, so so maybe we could say it's a bit comparable to sales incentives, just as you have within your own company. Like how do you drive the behavior of the partner towards the end result you want to get together? Yeah, it's a, a great way of talking about it, right? And and you can absolutely imagine a, a, a really good way of disincentivizing all your AEs is to have a commission structure that's absolutely terrible. All your AEs will end up leaving, right? Especially, and the best ones will leave first because they know they can earn more money elsewhere, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the same is exactly true for your compensation strategy. The best partners know exactly what they're worth, and if your compensation strategy doesn't work properly, they will immediately switch either to a direct competitor or just switch away from your products in general. Yeah, good one. I think when I think about compensation, there's always two things you need to look at first. First of all, look at your full buying and customer journey and look at, okay, what are we going to do ourselves and what is the partner going to do? You touched upon it briefly already with referral versus resell, for example. There's a lot more work for a resell partner than there is for a referral partner. And therefore, that should also be compensated as such. And you need to have a very clear view on your own metrics, financial metrics. So what's your gross margin? What's your customer acquisition cost? And then you can start looking at what the bandwidth is within your margin for your partners to incentivize them. Yeah, and and the other thing that I'd be looking at is what are your competitors doing, right? That's one of the things that's really easy to benchmark. Very rarely are you building a channel in a non-competitive market, right? You're always trying to compete against someone. And one of the levers that you have to pull is offering the partners or your channel more financial potential than they would with your competitor. And especially when you're trying to be disruptive, 
that's a real lever that you should be pulling aggressively because that's one of the things that can peak interest of your competitive partners. And as we've touched on in other series, a displacement or a replacement strategy is a really key strategy for success is just ripping and replacing and user product with your product. But you can also do that in the partner ecosystem and, and compensation is a really good mechanism to drive that behavior. And within that compensation, let's say indeed we, we take an example of referral versus resell. There, there. When you when you have a referral partner, then they are mainly responsible for uh, bringing in the lead, for example. But then it also depends on like is the is it a co-sell motion where the partner needs to be needs to be along the full sales journey until the product is sold, or is it just give the lead and and then your sales team does the rest, or maybe indeed it's a resell model where the partner is responsible for everything, finding the customers, closing them, but also renewing them. And I think those are some interesting things to think about. Also with your margin, it's not just what percentage are you giving, but for how long are you giving that? And and also with renewals, for example, like what's the what's the right amount of percentage we need to give to incentivize that behavior? Yeah, exactly. The thing that you're dancing around is how easy is it to sell versus how much money am I going to make, right? Partners are constantly analyzing that tool. The more complicated it is to sell, the more effort that the partner has to put into selling the more money they need to make back, right? Because once that is out of sync, suddenly they're just going to lose interest. Whereas what you want, and and it can be the other way, right? If it's really easy to sell and the partner's making a load of money, okay, well, that's awesome, right? You're obviously going to get a huge tailwind and driving force. And that might be something you want to do for a period of time to capture a market. But ultimately, you're missing potential and you want to wind that back, right? So getting the balance between effort and reward is critical for keeping your partners engaged. Yeah, could you give some examples there of easy to sell versus uh, uh, the money you can make indeed? Like both on the uh, an example of what is easy to sell and how much money should you make them, but also what are the more complex and... and sure. The- so a, a, really, uh, a really key example would be, say, in the IT hardware space. If you're selling mice and keyboard and you're tied to a really strong brand, it's a very high revenue, low margin product, right? Because there's loads of people, it's a very short buying cycle, sometimes even just simply bought online, right? Versus, I don't know, a fully integrated designed product that needs a specific architecture per end user, installation, continuous management and support. You can understand those two buying cycles are very, very different. Those two maintenance cycles are very, very different. The renewal cycle is very, very different. And therefore, the margin I would expect to be in the low single digits for one, and I'd expect to be making 40-50% margin on the actual solution, plus 100% margin on the services for the installation and maintenance and everything else. And so there you've got two wildly different sales cycles. And if you ask partners, which do you prefer? Sort of depends on the partner, right? If you've got thousands of end users that you're servicing versus we only have 20 end users, right? The 20 end users, they're going to want high margin, high complexity. And the the broad line partners who service thousands of end users, they don't mind high revenue, low margin because they've got the economies of scale to make that work. And then the businesses that do it best blend those two together, right? And they're really the gems of partners who've managed to blend high revenue to capture loads of uh, end users, but then high margin to drive huge value into some of those end users. Yeah, I think indeed, if I listen to that, it's crucial to make sure that you really look at the big picture. Because if you have a product that has a lot of end-user pool and therefore brings that partner a lot of demand where they can tie the rest of their products with higher margins or their services, etc., on top of it, 
then probably you don't have to give away that much margin because they want to work with you because it drives their revenue and it brings in demand. And indeed the other way around, if you have a product where there's a lot of work for the partner and it always needs to be sold into the organization of the end user, then probably you need a lot more margin to make sure that you drive that behavior with the partner. Yeah, 100%. I think a really good example of this is Microsoft Office 365, right? Brilliant solution, loads of end user demand, hundreds of thousands of resellers selling that product. Clearly, the margin on that is not significant. However, what Microsoft will tell you is I think the ratio is about 11 to 1. So for every dollar spent on Microsoft, you can sell 11 more dollars in periphery products, solution and services to really wrap around that. So partners love selling Microsoft as they should because the opportunity is wider than simply the Office 365 licensing. That's the door opener to start monetizing that end user at a a far greater level. And that's what you want to be building in terms of your compensation strategy. You need to look much wider than your own product. And and frankly, Microsoft would be missing a trick if partners were making 70% margin on their Office 365 licensing. That that would be a crazy move. Microsoft would be making a lot less money. But partners enjoy that balance because they know they can still monetize that solution incredibly effectively. Yeah, indeed, there you get the attached sale. They come in with one product, but then they can bring their full service and product suite among it uh, to the to the end user. Yeah, and the really key thing there, it's a door opener, right? There's an attachment sale, which is high revenue, but it's not the leading product. So we've just talked about mice and keyboards, right? Typically, that's not going to be a, hey, we managed to break into a customer because we sell mice and keyboards. So that's easy to sell, but it's not a door opener, meaning it's less valuable than Microsoft licensing, which is easy to sell, but is a fundamental reason why if you're a Microsoft MSP, someone would buy from you, and then you can wrap everything around it, right? So there's balance there, but having a really key understanding of your end users, of the partner process, what does the partner need to do, and then balancing the complexity of sale versus the opportunity. How easy is it to sell versus how much money am I going to make? If you get that balance really right, then you're going to be ultimately very successful. Yeah, 100%. Uh, And I think what you start with is not what you have to end with, right, in terms of margin. I think it's crucial there. In, In the second episode, we went into channel strategy, which needs to be highly aligned with your company strategy. Like if you're, for example, venture-backed and you need to generate a lot of revenue in a very short amount of time, probably you want to go way more aggressive with your margin than when you're bootstrapped and you want to like grow your channel step by step. And and I think that's where you have to start as well. Look at your own business model, look at it like what are our company objectives and within that what, for example, may our customer acquisition cost be? If that's approximately 40% of your revenue when you do it direct, then you could consider if you want to go super aggressive, like how close can we get it to that level if the partner really has to do everything. So for example, in the resale model, and obviously you need to take into account that you have your channel account managers, etc. But that I think that's how you can look at it, like how aggressive can and do we want to go? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, Spotify has never been profitable, right? I think that's one of like the classic examples where VC-backed companies are scaling as aggressively as possible to capture a market. And we see that happening within the channel. What's really important is you understand what phase you're in. So I think in the last episode, we talked about evolution, but not change. So you don't want to be walking your strategy back, but you are absolutely right for a two-year increment where you want to really dominate the space. You may choose to incentivize partners to capture the key partners in the market. And then over time, once you're starting to hit saturation, you can wind that back and start to drive up your profitability. 
So don't think it's impossible. I would really stress you want to you don't want to do it too many times because people that can cause a bit of chaos in the channel but absolutely to have a a first two-year plan versus a two to five-year plan versus a five to ten-year plan yes your compensation strategy should look very different across those timelines yeah what do you see there or have you experienced that like do you change it for existing partners or is that really a no-go so typically, yes, right? I, I'm a big believer that generally, unless there's very, very specific reasons, you want a consistent buying price across all partners. Otherwise, what you do is you protect the very top partners, but you also prevent any rising stars from being successful. There's too much uh, there's too much protection for those top partners. And especially if you're a SaaS product and you're, we're in a rapidly changing market, that complexity, I think, can actually stagnate channels. So you do an entire pricing shift, which, you know, frankly, is not uncommon, right? FX rates change and there's all sorts of complexities that happen in the global market. But I do want to stress, you don't want to be doing it every year. That's going to seed a lot of chaos into the channel. But if you have a very good reason for it, then yeah, pricing changes do happen. Yeah. And I think a good way to work around this is with your partner tiers. So if at a certain moment your partner program becomes a bit more mature, you get different levels. And in the channel, oftentimes it's the classic silver, uh, gold, platinum uh, levels. And then the partners in the platinum level, they get the highest margin and the, the best discount on your product. And that's a way you could solve for that. Like if you want to change it, then you say, okay, the new baseline is where people get in. That's where they get 10% margin. But I once started with 25% margin for my partners probably the partners who do quite some revenue are in that top level and you yeah you can kind of like challenge your partners like okay if you want to maintain this uh this margin level i i challenge you to get to this revenue level because then you are in the top level of our uh, of our partner program yeah and you're rewarding via rebate and mdf spend there's lots of ways to incentivize that progressional behavior which is really what you want to do but certainly i think when we're talking about building a channel keep it fairly lean in terms of strategy and then like you say over time you can work out where that tiering should look like but certainly if i was building a channel from scratch i wouldn't be building in tiers early i'd be waiting until i have enough data and then i can really go okay this is gold silver bronze or whatever that segmentation looks like yeah i fully agree start with authorized that you know that the partners accepted and that they've done some type of certification and you can build from there yeah 100 percent and I think what's really important as well when you're building a channel is to understand that it's not all about the margin. Yes, it's very important. And yes, your partners will compare you to your competitors, but your partners are looking at it from a more of a helicopter view where they don't just look at what margin can I make on your product, but what is the total value of the projects I can run when I implement your product or when I work with this particular vendor. What do you think there? Like, like we've, we've been talking about a lot around multipliers, for example. I think Jay McBain always says it, like for every dollar you spend on a certain product, there's an X amount of dollars to be earned for partners around that for services. What do partners find most important there? Yeah, 100%. Again, it'll depend on what type of partner, right? So a broadliner IT reseller is going to care less about the services than they, you know, than an AV integrator, right? Which makes the majority of their profit on the services. However, what you want to be designing your compensation strategy is with that multiplier in mind. And then when you take it to channel, 
it's important you talk about it in that way too. So that second step is the bit that I see that's missed so often. So that 11 to one multiplier we talked about with Microsoft earlier in the episode, the reason that's so important, the reason I know that number is because Microsoft talk about it all the time. And it's a way they drive value into their solutions away from the margin that they're offering. Why that's so important is if you just hope that the partner will understand that rather than tell them you're going to look like an inferior product or an inferior compensation strategy when actually you might be brilliant, right? You might go, yes, you only make 15% on this, but it takes architecture, design, implementation, consistent management and renewal. And all of that's 100% margin. And that might be 40% of the total product or the total solution. And suddenly it's not a 15% margin. It's actually a 60% margin solution, but you've got to wrap all of those services in If you don't take partners through that extra services margin and what they should be charging to end users, they will only evaluate your product on what you tell them. So when you're designing your compensation strategy, ensure you are analyzing the full stack and don't just think about yourself because actually you're going to sell yourself short in that area. Yeah, that, that's what you re- should really be over-communicating. So if you're building your channel and you've, let's say you're working with five partners and you're starting to build the first business cases with those partners, really un- unwrap that. Like what what amount of money did you earn on top of this product in terms of services, etc. Look if you can calculate that mul- multiplier. And then if you wor- walk into new partners and you start recruiting them, like communicate that all the time because that's what gets them really excited, especially if you have clear cases around other partners that actually achieved that amount of revenue with your product. Yeah, and share the wins, right? I I, I really love that idea of over-communicating. If partner X has done this thing and they've sold this service and they've actually thought of a way that they can monetize it even better, share that with the rest of the channel so that we're really building an ecosystem and a community that's trying to deliver two things, the best solution to the end user and high profitability to the channel. If you've got those two things working in cadence together, then you're going to be highly successful. But it's so important that cams are thinking far wider than how did we close this deal? How can I sell more product? And it's no, how can we drive monetization into the channel? Because as we said, how hard is it to sell versus how much money I'm going to make? If we can artificially drive up how much money the partner's going to make by increasing the services opportunity, Without you even doing anything, you've got more of attention of the partner, meaning they're more likely to sell more of your products. Yeah, 100%. And I think the interesting part is that it has two positive effects. On the one hand, indeed, the partner understanding how they can make more money, but uh, which which incentivizes them, but also them understanding how, they, how your product fits in their solution and their services because they start thinking about it immediately. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Like if I'm also, let's say you you bring that business case to them, they see I'm also doing those type of services. So when I sell those services uh, the other way around, I can also attach this product into it to get more margin, to have a wider scope of the project and even sell more services on top. And I think that's the flywheel you want to trigger because then your partner gets excited about the money they can make and it becomes easier for their sales team because they understand how your product fits in their total solutions. Yeah, and the other bit that I'd be touching on in terms of delivering the full value is what your renewal rate is, right? So the the other piece that you can really touch on is how likely are they to churn? What's your typical lifetime value of a product? And you should know that from your direct go-to-market motion. And then the other bit is how likely is an upsell? Because what partners will bake into is they know, okay, we sell this once, we make 15% margin. 
but year two, we're expecting the contract value to double and we're expecting this contract to be sold for seven years, meaning that, hang on, yes, I did sell it once, but I monetized it for such a long period of time. Business owners will absolutely love that because they know typically you only pay the salesperson once or you pay the salesperson year two to year seven a lot less for the renewal than you would for the initial deal. And they get that continuous monetization. And especially if there's services that can be done throughout the lifetime of the contract, remember, you want to be over communicating the full value of the opportunity. So definitely don't just stop at year one, understand how you can continue to monetize that through. That's a great point. I think that's one of the things we hear all the time from all our customers as well. Renewals is such a big issue in the channel. So you really need to think how you're going to incentivize in the best optimal way and i think i would advise incentivize it similarly if if the partner is responsible for the renewal give them the same margin every year like that that's what you should incentivize and you should build programs around how are we going to help partners to do good renewals how are we going to drive upsells because that's where the real money in in subscription economy is when you and your partner together make continuous impact for the end user and therefore drive renewals and upsells as well yeah, to me, I, I, the renewals element is why SaaS businesses are valued so highly. And so it's crazy to me that you would shortchange the partners on their second year when actually what we can very much see is that if you drive the incentivization into the partner properly, they will chase that renewal and get it done. And if they don't, if they're not getting paid year two, guess what? They also speak to that end user all the time. They're probably selling out the product. And if they can't get the monetization year two, I know what will happen because I've seen it happen time and time again. They will start introducing competitors so they can capture that customer back. So for me, if you're going to go down the channel route, and I absolutely think it's the most scalable way of doing business, you should just be paying partners on renewals constantly. That means you've got to get the compensation package right from year one onwards because you can't be overpaying on year one and then underpaying on year two onwards and then that introduces churn instead pay less on year one but talk about lifetime value so they go okay i'm only making 15 percent, but i'm going to make 15 percent for seven years and the renewal process is really really easy and in fact we're going to work together to generate upsells suddenly you've got the partner thinking long term you've got the end user thinking long term and you really are building a partnership that's going to stand the test of time yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I always hear from partners. Maybe the, the margin on itself is not the thing that drives them most, but what they really love is the subscription revenue because all the partners usually sell their services and it's on a one-off basis, but now they also start to build like that more predictable model where they get more and more of that revenue and that's indeed that all comes together in your renewal strategy because if you don't get that right then it's just a one-off sale for the partner because the product was sold once but the year after they need to sell it again or they need to sell a different solution uh, or a different they need to sell a different product uh, as such yeah to me like you know hardware sales it's a it's a very unscalable way of doing business because you do a great deal and you've got to start again and do another great deal. And you've got to start again and do another great deal. And it never ends, right? Whereas in the renewables world, okay, I sold a deal and maybe I sold a shed load of services, which is amazing because I've made a really lumpy deal, but 10% of that value just continues. And it means if I do that every month, I get that rule of 72, 
And suddenly, if I sell 1K a month after the end of the year and it renews every month, after the end of the year, I've actually sold 72,000. Do that year over year over year. You've got this book of business that's just massively helping the profitability. And I've even spoken to AV Cloud Partners who they know they can sell no more deals and they can keep all the lights on for the entire year because they're just their SaaS margin is just keeping the entire business running. That allows them to be hyper aggressive in the market. If you're speaking to business leaders about that type of profitability, they're going to be so bought into your solution. So you want to be communicating the entire strategy, not just your element. 100%. Maybe last topic uh, regarding compensation uh, for listeners that are thinking about working with distribution. You know a lot about that. Like, Where do you focus on or what type of margin when you work with distributors, you offload even more work to the channel? What type of margin do you give to the distributors? Like how should you think about that or construct that? Yeah, so when you give, and you've got to be very careful, and this is one of the things that I'll, I'll say to the US versus EMEA, because in Europe and, and in the UK, we have a, a price-fixing legislation, so you cannot tell a distributor what to sell at because that's price-fixing. So instead, you have to give guidelines. But again, what is the distributor doing? So how much margin expectation did they have versus the work? The same rule is applied if you have hired a very specialist distributor. They are recruiting, training all the partners. They're doing the installation on behalf of the partners. They're doing a lot of work. Their expectation is going to be higher because they are assuming some of the complexity from the partner, right? And so that is a very different strategy to, hey, we're going to give the distributor 10 funded heads. Those funded heads are going to do all the work. So we're actually just hiring a sales team within the distributor. They're going to recruit all the partners. Then we've got loads of cams to go and sort all the work out. Well, then my negotiation with the distributor is, hey, your margin expectation should be less because realistically you're not doing the brunt of the work. So that same calculation that you need to be doing with the partner, you need to do with the distributor. And you've got to balance, are we getting the ROI out? And the other bit, speak to multiple distributors, really get a steer from them on what's the work that you're going to be doing, what's the value you're going to be providing, and what's your margin expectation. Distributors have very, very clear guidelines internally, so they will know what they want, but you've got to balance that ROI model. And if you don't feel like you're getting a good deal and you're building the early onset of your channel, cut distribution out, build your channel for two years direct, and then you can have an understanding to add distributor as your tier two layer to go after the long tail once you've built high value partners. To me, I think that's a much faster way of building a channel initially because you're getting that one-to-one feedback from partners. So if you're a SaaS platform, that's typically where I'd start. Hardware doesn't work because you need, you know, distribution to do logistics and shipping. And so in that instance, that's where distribution is providing one of the primary values. And obviously they need to be paid for that. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. And it's first start direct with partners in a tier one model. And then eventually when that is working, you can scale very big, like with distribution there. And maybe for our listeners that haven't heard about a funded head yet, a funded head is someone who's on the payroll of the distributor, but paid by the vendor, right? Where where you give them 
the money, but they actually hire that person, train that person, etc., and make sure that they focus completely on your specific partner set. Yeah, exactly. So a, a funded head might be managing partners directly, or they're managing the enablement of the distribution salespeople. They are there to be effectively a channel account manager for you, but based entirely within the distributor. It's a very low risk model because you're not hiring anyone. And based on targets, you can stop paying effectively for the funded head, but it does allow you to get real mind share. I am biased. I've been a funded head, so I, I, I get it. And I think it's a really good way of doing business. But for me, um, if you can get the right wallet share, the right distributor and the right funded head, that is the trick. You've got to interview yourself and make sure you're getting the right caliber. But if you do, they can absolutely drive significant and incremental business for you. Excellent. Well, I think we shared a lot on uh, compensation today uh, for our listeners. Uh, thanks again for sharing. I hope our listeners liked it as well. If you want to learn more, check out the description of our podcast and see you next week. Yeah.